In what we're doing now, we are getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply, what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary. We don't know the contrast organic Welcome back. This is Meditations and Molotovs. I'm your host, Vincent Emanuele, and you are listening to the Progressive Radio Network. That's prn.fm. Meditations and Molotovs airs every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 p.m. East Coast Time, which I believe is 11 a.m. on the West Coast. The band that you heard and that you will be hearing leading in today is from L.A., they are an industrial metal act by the name of Three Teeth. So the number three and then teeth, check them out, Google them, iTunes, etc. Today, we have a good program. We're talking with Sam Love. He's an activist and organizer from Northwest Indiana. He lives in Gary, Indiana, currently fighting against the private prison system. And particularly, the GEO group. A corporation that has prisons, what they call immigrant detention facilities, all over the world on four different continents. They have facilities and, well, what we like to call prisons in Australia, South Africa, the United Kingdom, and all over the United States. So we'll be talking about the GEO Group. We'll be talking about the campaign that's taking place in Gary. But, you know, when I think about prisons, I think about different levels of criticism. So, you know, when we, from, the, from a personal perspective, here's what I'll say about prisons. If you can't understand how or why somebody can go to prison, I'll probably have a hard time speaking with you. So let me put that differently. If you've never done anything in your life, ever... Like if you've never done anything in your life that would dictate that under the law you should or could have gone to prison, then we're going to have a really hard time discussing this issue. I mean most of the people I know – and this ranges. you know, So most of the people I know should have been, including myself, thrown in prison for one reason or another. Now, this is just talking about prisons. We'll get on to talking about, like, you know, the, the, the um, specific dynamic of an immigrant detention facility, what this means in the context of neoliberal economic policies, in the context of trade agreements, so-called trade agreements, top-down corporate agreements that guarantee millions of people will want to immigrate from Latin America – because of CIA interventions and coups overthrowing democratically elected governments throughout the world, but particularly in Latin America, and people in the United States still have the the uh, what would you say? You know, they they they're still able to ask the question, "Why are people coming here?" and then to blame it on other people. I mean, these are other things that we should be talking about: xenophobia, the history of xenophobia in the United States. 
the fact that in 1848 the United States took, I think, close to what was it, 45 to 50 percent of Mexico's land. Today, what we consider the entire Southwest, including Mexico, I'm sorry, including Texas. You know, we should talk about all of those dynamics, but just strictly thinking about prison. So, number one, I mean, with regard to the GEO campaign and the GEO group or immigrant, so-called immigrant detention facilities, prisons for immigrants or for refugees, people who are asking for refugee status. You know, we're going to throw these people in prison as they're being processed. And so that brings us to the moral criticism. You know, and, and going back to to what I was mentioning about prisons in general, you know, thinking about incarceration. You know, there's, I mean, there's many different levels to this. You know, of course there's the capitalist angle. I mean, this is what we're talking about with regard to geo campaign. And I'm sorry, to the geo group and the campaign against geo that's taking place in Gary, Indiana. What has become, for those who are listening around the world, in my opinion, sort of a ground zero in the fight against the private prison industry. And not only are the activists and organizers on the ground, the citizens who are fighting against the private prison industry, but an immigrant detention facility, which then forces Americans and people who live here locally to think about this issue from an international perspective, which I think is extremely important because all too often, especially in the United States, you know, we talk about these things as if we live in a bubble or as if we are the only nation in the world or as if what happens in the United States is completely detached from what's happening around the globe. So going back to my original point, you know, if you can't imagine being in a prison, I mean, I'm sorry to tell you, but you live in a bubble. Most people I know have done something wrong that under the law would dictate that they would go to prison. Um, so that's something I would just immediately like to mention. You know, like I, I find it very disingenuous when I hear Americans talk about prisons, although I think that the, the narrative is shifting and I think the rhetoric amongst most Americans, uh, thanks to the millions of activists around the world who brought attention to the fact that the United States imprisons more people than the rest of the world combined. And I think we should keep saying that out loud and openly, that the United States has 5% of the world's population, yet imprisons 25% of the world's prisoners. This is the reality in the United States. And there's many reasons for this. You know, as we mentioned with Geo Group, there's, a, there's the profit initiative here. You know, the, 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 the profit motive for GEO Group is to maximize their profits. In order to maximize their profits, they need laws that will guarantee there will be more prisoners in prison. They need those beds filled. So there's, it's easy to critique. In my opinion, it's easy to critique an institution or a corporation like the GEO Group. From a different perspective, however, and one of my good friends and scholars, Christian Parenti, has constantly pointed this out in his work, talking about not only the private security, I'm sorry, not only the sort of security apparatus, both private and public in the United States, but also the prison industrial complex. And in fact, Michelle Alexander talks about this in her book, The New Jim Crow, as well. So the majority of prisons are still owned by the state. Now, there is an increasing number of private prisons in the realm of immigrant detention facilities, 
or to house immigrants and refugees. Why? Because in those privately owned prisons, the Freedom of Information Act doesn't apply. The prisoners are often treated as second-class citizens, and that's okay because they're not citizens of the United States. So they don't have the same rights as if an American prisoner was being in prison, meaning that they aren't subject to the same laws and to the same possible lawsuits that a public institution would be, hence the reason private prisons are more inclined to imprison refugees and immigrants. But there's also a motive from the state. I mean, people have to realize this. I mean, and I've, you know, we could have debates all day about the role of the state. What is the state? How should the state operate? In whose interest? Is it inherently hierarchical? Is the state inherently oppressive? Well, with regard to punishing people, and we've seen this in the United States over the last few years. Of course, African-American people, black people throughout the country have been dealing with this since the inception of policing and the inception inherently tied to slavery, inherently tied to keeping people in line, keeping black people in line. But these police forces in the United States, they are not privatized. And yet they serve a very specific function. You know, so yes, you know, my left-wing friends would argue, well, they're there to protect capital. You know, so if you're going to go, if a, if a rally or a protest is going to go take over, say, the Chase Manhattan uh, New York building, the police are going to be there to stop you. If striking workers outside of a steel mill in northwest Indiana want to stop scabs from coming in and working in those steel mills, you better believe it, that the police will be there to make sure that those scabs are able to break the strike line. Okay, that's clear for a lot of people, including activists. But there's also another motive here. And the motive is to keep people in line. And I think all too often we forget, and especially within this, this conversation, this sort of ongoing critique of private prisons, I think what we forget is that the state-owned prisons serve an even more evil function, in my opinion. So, yes, GEO Group is trying to make profits off of people. This is sickening in and of itself. Automatically, face value, it's a very sickening thing, very sickening prospect that shareholders are maximizing, you know, or corporations are maximizing their profits for shareholders to benefit off the imprisonment of people, uh, in the case of GEO Group, immigrants and refugees. But the state imprisons people to keep people in line. So if you step out of line, you know, if you happen to be a, 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 a Mumia, Abu Jamal, if you happen to be an Asada Shakur, if you happen to be a Chelsea Manning, if you happen to be someone like Russell Means who steps out of line, speaks out against the government, and has a profound impact in doing so, you had better expect the state to clamp down because that is exactly what the state does. And I think conversations around prisons allow us to have not only very interesting and critical and nuanced conversations and debates about the role of private companies in our society, but also the role of the state. So how do these institutions function? That's something I think we should keep in mind. Now, with regard to criticism of prisons in the U.S., I think there's, and this is, I 
I'm using this as a broad term. I'm talk, when I'm talking about prisons, I'm talking about all prisons here and now. Now, when I talk with Sam, and here in a little bit, I'll give you a little rundown of what the GEO campaign has been all about. I'll read portions of a statement that the activists and Gary have come up with. Um, re, you know, they've released it to the public, and tomorrow I'll inform people of a major event that's taking place at the Gary City Hall. And I hope you will pass that information around to your friends and family, comrades, and so forth. But there's a moral criticism, you know, and, and a Reverend Cheryl, Cheryl Rivera from East Chicago, I think, really hit the nail on the head at an event over the weekend where, you know, people before her were making all kinds of criticisms of why this prison is going to be bad for Gary and why this prison is inherently bad anyway, regardless of where GEO group would like to put the prison. But Cheryl Rivera reminded us, and you know, this reminds me of criticisms concerning the war in Iraq. I mean, when I came home from the war in Iraq, I was opposed to the war because it was killing Iraqi people. It was maiming Iraqi people. It was destroying the country of Iraq. It was destroying the countryside and the beautiful environment. It was, it was destroying my friends' lives. It forced many of us to take people's lives. That, for me, the whole critique of the war was a moral critique. You know, what really bothered me was when I came home and people started saying, oh, you know, the, well, the war in Iraq, okay, this is how much we spend every day. You know, so it's like, here's how much we spend. Uh, you know, people would have signs at rallies and protests and various NGOs and even community groups would come up with, like, banners and so forth that would say things like the and i'm just this is just i'm pulling numbers out of my head but you know they would make an argument like the war in iraq costs five billion dollars a day to conduct and it, with that five billion dollars we could have built a hundred public schools blah 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 and yes all of that matters all of that matters to me of course because in the end the way that our society and institutions are set up those ec that economic criticism sort of lends itself to a moral criticism. You know, because if you are spending money on something immoral like a war, then, you know, what are we not spending money on here at home? When we're constantly told by the people who are in power, we don't have money for this, we don't have money for that, people need to cut back, people need to tighten their belts, you know, but we'll spend three, four, five, six trillion dollars on an illegal and immoral war. So this this conversation around the prisons actually reminds me a lot of the conversation I had with activists, media, you know, and so forth during the war, when at the height of the war in Iraq. You know, for some people, prisons are outright wrong. They're immoral institutions. Um, and I think that's the angle we should take. Because I think by taking that angle, we challenge people to think about their morality. We challenge people to think about the principles and morals upon which they base their lives. And that, to me, is a much more interesting conversation than, say, for example, the people who are making the argument. And, you know, maybe this is just the world we live in, therefore we have to make arguments like this, that, you know, there's, there's no economic benefit to prisons. You know, so one of the arguments that's being made in, in Gary is that, you know, it's already a, a deindustrialized uh, city that's experiencing... 30, 40%, 30, 40% unemployment. Poverty rate is four times what the uh, national average is. 
and we can go on and on. I mean, for people who know, it's truly one of the saddest situations you can imagine. For people who don't know, I suggest that you continue to do research about Gary, Indiana. Um, and, you know, we can talk about this in, in the future as well, and we will, and I'm sure we'll get into some of this with Sam. But, you know, there's also, so people are going to make the economic criticism. People are also going to make an ideological criticism. And I think this is important as well. You know, so what kind of society, what kind of politics do we want? I mean, there's something here ideologically for me that's very patriarchal when we're talking about prisons and punishment. You know, this idea that we should punish. And this to me sounds a lot like the Old Testament. This sounds to me a lot like the Almighty Father figure who is there constantly taking uh, score, constantly keeping an eye on you and waiting and willing at any moment to punish you for not following orders and rules and regulations. I think all of those criticisms are worthwhile. For me, the moral criticism and the ideological criticisms of prisons, both private and public, probably are the most important angles to take. But if indeed we are going to swing people to our side by making an economic criticism, well, so be it. We'll make an economic criticism. Um, you know, moving on to the actual geo campaign, because I do want to pull Sam up here pretty quick so we can talk to him for as long as we can. But I wanted to read some of what's in the open letter that activists from Gary, Indiana, have directed to the Gary Board of Zoning Appeals and the Gary City Council and the GEO group. In the meantime, I will also direct people to read Paul Street's latest article in Counterpunch, which details the struggle against the GEO group and Gary. And I would also like to mention, this is something I'll talk to Sam a little bit about, but I think this is also interesting because racial politics are obviously at play here. You know, let's not be stupid. The city of Gary is 90% black. The, the, the vast majority, probably 90 to 95%, if not upwards of that number, of the immigrants or refugees that will be detained in a facility like the one that GEO Group wants to build would be from Latin America. The game being played, and everybody knows it, is that, you know, GEO Group is trying to go into a, a largely black community and say, hey, look, you know, these immigrants, these people who are taking your jobs to begin with, they're the ones who are going to be housed here. We're going to give you folks jobs. And that's, you know, this crazy economic argument that this is going to be beneficial to the city of Gary, a city that many people are already afraid to go to um, most of the time for unjust reasons and irrational reasons, but already a city that truly is incapable of providing the government and the corporations who operate in that city, truly incapable of providing a decent standard of living for the people who live in Gary, Indiana. And yet the GEO people are trying to argue, of course, you know, well, we'll give you jobs, you know. And, of course, who are we going to imprison? We're not imprisoning your brothers and sisters or your neighbors or your friends from down the block. We're imprisoning these Latin American immigrants who – deserve to be in prison anyway. And by the way, they're taking your jobs, you know, didn't you know? Um, and that's already a source of tension. And for people who live in the Rust Belt, for people who live or work in Chicago, Illinois, the most segregated city in the United States, uh, we understand how those politics play out. They've played out in many different ways, you know, on the ground, culturally, socially, economically, in the latest mayoral race in Chicago, and also in the Democratic primary race. It's something else we'll get into at a later time. 
And, you know, what I want to talk to Sam about is this being an organizing opportunity. So before we get into that, let me just simply read to you some of what the activists from Gary have come up with uh, to tell the, the Gary Board of Zoning Appeals. So we oppose GEO's plan to operate a for-profit immigrant detention center prison in Gary across from the Gary Chicago International Airport. We represent a diverse community of religious leaders, people of faith, goodwill, and moral consciousness, immigrant, civil, and human rights organizations, justice institutions, groups, and individuals from throughout the region. We understand that Gary is struggling to address its 40% unemployment. But GEO will not improve Gary's economic viability or sustainability. This GEO for-profit operation is not about jobs for Gary residents. GEO is about getting rich from the pain, misery, and suffering of poor immigrant families. This person will not revital or I'm sorry, this prison will not revitalize or sustain the city of Gary, its people, jobs, economy, and image, or its community spirit. We believe GEO is bad for Gary, and here's why. A city that's 90% black with its people's own history of slavery, Jim Crow, mass incarceration, and suffering from continuing systemic racism must be no party to targeting, terrorizing, and profiteering from detention, enslavement, and deportation of immigrants in America. The jobs for Gary residents will be few, low-paying, and dangerous. GEO uses inmates and detainees for most work, cleaning, and dietary for as little as $1 per day, slave labor. Tens of thousands of immigrant detainees are paid 13 cents per hour, while the founder of GEO, the CEO, made $6.6 million in the year of 2015 and has raked in over $28 million in total since 2008. GEO is about detaining and imprisoning immigrants for profit and treating people as commodities, like slaves trading on the auction block. This is morally outrageous. GEO has a documented track record for being responsible for wrongful deaths of detainees, sexual assaults of children by detention guards, inhumane conditions including barbaric conditions of a juvenile prison in Mississippi that federal courts said was the worst it had ever seen and, quote, a cesspool of unconstitutional and inhumane acts, unquote. There's many more I could go down, but right now, without further ado, I'd like to bring Sam Love on the air. Sam, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Absolutely. You are very clear. How you doing, Sam? Excellent. Well, I'm uh, I'm doing well despite this this siege and this onslaught. This is unreal that we have to fight this thing twice here. Well, tell people when you say that you have to fight it. Well, actually, let me get into that. Let me t- give give people a little bit about your background. I'm interested. You know, let's humanize you a little bit here. You're just a voice on the radio for a lot of folks. I would like for people to know. You know, where did you grow up, and how did you become an activist? Tell us a little bit about your background where you grew up, and, and what got you involved with political work to begin with. Okay, sure. I'll make that real brief. So I grew up in uh, Merrillville, but I later learned that I grew up in a place that's called either North Merrillville, Garyville, South Gary. I think you know where I'm going with this. I grew up in that little corner where Gary's Glen Park neighborhood, Merrillville, and Hobart meet. 
And I'll just say I grew up in the 80s when things were very colorful and exciting. Um, you know, when I grew up, the part, the neighborhood of Merrillville I lived in was always diverse. My friends were always diverse. My parents' qualifications for me being friends with someone was that they were a good person. Race, religion, and all that was never a factor in it. You know, tolerance was a big value. Um, and it wasn't until I started going into junior high and high school um, where we had more white students from other areas in Maryville that were not mixed. Um, and we had a couple of racial incidents when I was in junior high school and high school, white students bullying and walking out, and I refused to take sides because uh, I always stuck with the friends I grew up with, you know. That's all I know. Um, kind of, you know, the Iraq War um, and the opposition to that, uh, my first protest rally I ever attended was on the Ides of March 2003 at, in Gary, down Broadway. Uh, I'm a 1999 graduate of IUN history. I moved to Chicago to go to graduate school and study history. And on Dies de Marzo 2006, I got caught up in one of the biggest immigrants' rights rallies that the country had seen in a very long time, if ever, probably 150,000 people, they think, shut down the loop and the near west side of Chicago. And I immediately fell into um, organizing in that city, like grassroots, community, neighborhood-level organizing, which is what, if I have to qualify what I'm doing, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm in the neighborhood, you know, power to the neighborhood block by block. Uh, in Chicago, I was with a group called Area Chicago, which was a journal of grassroots organizing and activism. Area stood for Art, Research, Education, and Activism. I was also with a group in Rogers Park, where I lived for many years. On the far north side, uh, our group was called Mess Hall. We were a radical, creative, anti-capitalist space that for 10 years never used cash. To, you know, we never paid rent. We never got asked to. We never allowed donations. We never paid. We never, you know, none of that. For 10 years, we existed on the principle that there is so much resource out there that we can begin to move beyond capitalism. Uh, it was in that time living in Chicago that I connected in Gary with the Central District Organizing Project. I'll just say right now, my whole entire life's goal is to be an organizer in Gary, Indiana. I've always loved that city. I've been a lot of places in, a, in the United States and a few places in Europe, and Gary is where I'm happiest. Um, yeah, I, could, I could go on and on about that, and I give tours around here, so if anyone's listening and ever interested, you just hit me up, and I will show you around. This is a beautiful city. We will not let Geo tarnish what this city stands for and what it's built. Um, I well, and Sam, can you, not to interrupt, but yeah. can you say a little more about that? Because I remember, you know, and, and this is, I mean, all of us have to learn. So back in 2006, 2007, I remember speaking with an activist from Gary around the time we were doing a lot of work, um, you know, in opposition to the war in Iraq. And I was saying like, you know, man, this is, this town is a ghost town. It's, it's torn up. It's, you know, all this, you know, it's just this very disparaging sort of view. Now I didn't have a disparaging view of the people of Gary, but I, what the person reminded me was that, hey, you know, okay, okay, yes, this is all true, you know, and everybody knows that this is true about Gary, Indiana. So it's like we're constantly being shit on by everyone, you know, whether it's the politicians, it's the media, it's pop culture, it's even people who live here who will badmouth the place. Like we need people to stop badmouthing Gary, Indiana and stop talking in disparaging ways about Gary, Indiana. We need to start talking about 
the love and the culture and the humanity that exists within Gary. And I think this is part of what you're mentioning. This was a lesson I've learned, and I think this is a lesson that other people uh, should probably take heed, those who are organizing in and around the region or those who are interested in what's happening in Gary. We've been building this for seven years now, and by we, I'm talking about a lot of people with this coalition against GEO. I mean, I think all, all in, you know, everybody I've ever organized with this who I've cared about and cared about me is on board with this. The city has deep soul. Gary's the heart and soul of northwest Indiana. It's the heart and soul of 219. It's the heart and soul of the region. And, and I would even go so far as to say the midtown neighborhood, which, you know, it's like, I don't want to add to the controversy of what the official or unofficial boundaries are, but that part south of downtown between Glen Park, um, you know, where you had all the, the white ethnics who formed the unions. You had the black folks right. coming up south, right. you know, Jackson, Blues Clubs, the Red Light District, like, I mean, all kinds of stuff. That's the heart and soul of it, and that's where I learned to organize, and that's where people really from across northwest Indiana – who are committed to social justice, we found ourselves at CDOP. And I think that really laid the, the groundwork for what you're seeing now. So um, Gary gets stereotyped as one thing, but it's, it's far more complex than that. And you're right, the people here are amazing. I mean, they're, they're so friendly and they're such a spirit, and that's why it's been hard lately, because there's a lot of demoralization um, about this geo issue, and you don't want to see people you love suffering or in pain or fe especially feeling bad about themselves. And I'll say this, you know, you look at the people who are most vociferous in support of having Geo here, it's these trolls commenting on these news stories online who don't live in Gary, they live in the white suburbs, they're white people, and they're saying things like, Geo is almost too good for Gary, you know. It's, it's, oh, I've already heard it. I've already heard yeah. it. I've talked to a couple people who live here in Michigan City, and one of the gentlemen who I spoke with about this issue had said, well, you know, they should just be happy that they're getting some jobs, you know? So I, I, yeah, I hear you a hundred percent. And that narrative that's I think is, and it's from somebody who lives on the outside, to, of course. Yeah. We need to understand that's what racism looks like here. 2016 Northwest Indiana always. Yep. Yeah. I don't care if you're happy that you live in a mixed neighborhood or you have black friends or you never use the N word. If you look at Gary as the dumping ground, while all the collar white suburbs get like BW threes and brew pubs, you know, that is racism right there. And what this campaign about, this phase of it at least, is confronting the white supremacy that's behind this, especially this for-profit uh, prison industry. Well, talk to us about GEO. You recent, so this isn't the first time that GEO's come to Gary, and in fact, this isn't the first time that GEO has been in the region. So tell us a little bit about former struggles in Joliet, Crete. I'm not sure if you were involved with those, but I do know that you were involved in the struggle against Geo and Hobart. So talk to us a little bit about this history. Sure, real quickly. It goes back to uh, 2011. There was a, a, a call put out by ICE, not for an official, nothing official, but sort of like testing the waters of, hey, we kind of want to open one of these processing facilities within 90 minutes of our headquarters in the Chicago Loop. So we want one of the private groups to, to, you know, bottom line this project. And the first place they picked on was Crete, Illinois. And I came to know about that one because I was living in Chicago. I was at Mess Hall at the time, and one of my colleagues at Mess Hall was involved in a lot of the organizing to stop that, and they were successful. 
that at the time, that wasn't GEO, that was one of their competitors, CCA, the Corrections Corporation of America. Um, a few months later, uh, ICE tried again to pitch this thing in Joliet. Now, Joliet, as folks don't know, that has a reputation of a prison town. It's been a prison town for, I think, a century and a half plus. And the people of Joliet, along with the people of Crete, defeated that. You see, the people in Crete were so pissed off, they didn't give it up. They kept, kept it going. So around this time now, I'm personally relocating from Chicago back to here. I live in here. I've lived down here for four years. I was down here all the time anyway. So, um, you know, I'd always hang out here on the weekends, not in the city, even though I lived up there. So, you know, I, I moved down this way, and I always, I always knew that they were going to try. And um, on my mother's birthday in November... 2013, it was announced in the local papers that the GEO Group had secretly bought 49 acres um, in Hobart, right next to Gary on 49th Street. Um, immediately, uh, a friend of mine, a comrade of mine, Paulie, formed this group. We came up with a name that night called MIGHT, M-I-G-H-T, the Mass Incarceration and GEO Halt Team. And just real briefly, we set about organizing with folks in Hobart, as well as elsewhere, because, you know, the Crete and the Joliet people, now they, they hear about Hobart, they say, well, we're going to come join you. And we knew there had to be communication happening between all different types of groups, as well as the media. So that's, that's if anyone's ever wondered what type of organizing Mike is doing, and I hope we can maybe talk a little bit about organizing, because I would like to take this time to educate future organizers um, in this struggle, because it's going to go on and on and on and on. Um, you know, we, we did that, and I think very quickly we were able to communicate with decision makers in Hobart, the mayor and the city council, that this was a bad deal. So I want people to remember in Hobart, Geo owned the land, and we still stalled them. So now fast forward to November 2015, right around my mother's birthday again. See, I don't forget things like these. Um, <laughs> they announced that they're going to try in, in Gary. Now, we had actually been tipped off about this ahead of time. There are people within the mayor's administration, as well as other people close to other political figures in Gary who had been warning us that this fellow, Bo Kemp, who is a contractor for the city of Gary Economic Development, he's sort of the real guy. Um, the person whose name appears in the papers is, is an underling of his. He's not, you know, that's the public face, but Bo Kemp is the guy who's behind the scenes. Bo Kemp used to work with Cory Booker's administration in Newark and got pushed out. And uh, Cory Booker's administration, of course, was one of the most corrupt there was out that way. So that's saying something right there. Bo Kemp's making sixty-five grand a year to go out and have meetings with these big wigs from GEO. And he's bound to determine, along with a few others in this town who are, you know, having these meetings and being promised God knows what, that this thing should happen here. Well, in, That's a pretty cheap date for a lot of these capitalists. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we've done a lot of you know we have people doing. You think your soul? You think your soul might cost more than sixty five G's? But no, go ahead. I'm just being facetious. Well, well, you know what? You're right though because we've seen some of the numbers. We have people doing FOIAs and public access requests, and we're seeing you know twenty or uh, two thousand dollars to the Lake County Sheriff Bunsich from a uh, Cloyd Schuster, who's one of the senior VPs at Geo. Two thousand dollars, you know. <laughs> Uh, I think Pensy, the governor of uh, Indiana, soon to be ex-governor, I think, um, 
Yeah, twenty grand. Um, so, and, so Geo's been greasing the wheels in Indiana for some time here. Yeah, and they've been greasing the wheels in Gary this weekend. That's the word on the street at least. Going to very well, we do know for a fact they approached the Baptist Convention um, in Gary with a, a check for the scholarship fund, and their uh, the, the lead of the Baptist Convention here in Gary, Pastor Asher Harris, told them on no circumstances will we take that money. So they're That's they're great. coming around. And bless Pastor Harris for that. Well, go ahead. I'm, I so, didn't mean to interrupt you, though, because you were given a great a great sort of timeline of exactly how this has went down here, especially in the city yeah, of Gary. So much detail. So, uh, long story short, in 12 days, the people of Gary, along with the people of Hobart and the people of Crete and the people of Joliet and the people of Chicago and friends from all over the place, uh, were able to, to essentially defeat this thing. Um and then now here it is again, and there's all kinds of word on the street about why that is. And I, you know, as, as an organizer, you got to take everything you hear with some grain of salt, and you got to, you know, hear what you're hearing a few times and whatnot. But um, on Good Friday of all days, a newspaper article comes out saying that Geo is once again going to appear before the Board of Zoning Appeals on Tuesday. That's this coming Tuesday, the 12th of April. 3 p.m., Gary City Hall, 4th and Broadway, to uh, ask for a variance on a piece of property they are interested in uh, adjacent to the Gary Chicago Airport, where we had learned in the previous campaign that deportation flights were occurring, and it's one of the only flights that are occurring out of that airport. There's not a lot going on down there. This property is also adjacent to the Midco 2 site, which is a Superfund site. Um, So this is uh, just disastrous on environmental justice levels, human rights levels, economic, moral, you name it, so on and so on. So we are, our coalition, we, you know, the band never broke up, so to speak. We all stayed in touch with each other. I don't think there was a single person who didn't think we would try again. This is a black town, and racism in America says that you could just force it on us, you know. So we um, we kept the discussions going, the organizing going, and we've expanded it. We have a lot of folks from Chicago and beyond who have communicated that they're going to be in downtown Gary tomorrow. And I would just add the climate in northwest Indiana, especially with Black Lives Matters activism that's been going on since the end of 2014, I think the climate here in northwest Indiana has changed. People aren't so deferent anymore. People aren't so willing to just trust and believe when they perceive, you know, you talked about hierarchy and patri- uh, patriarchy in the first bit of your show, Vince, and I, all those factors are at play, and I say let's get a discussion going about stuff like that. We need people to stand up. So Absolutely. if you're free tomorrow, come on down. I think people will be in downtown Gary as early as 1.30 tomorrow, 4th and Broadway. If you're coming from the city, the South Shore. Uh, alights at 134 at the Gary Metro Center. You know, all the whole public bus system in northwest Indiana converges. So get out there and um, make your voice heard. And I'm going to give that okay. information for those who didn't pick that up. I'm going to give information about tomorrow's event in Gary, especially because, you know, I think we have to remember, as you mentioned earlier, broad coalitions throughout the region, not just northwest Indiana, not just even the Chicagoland area, but we're talking about really the whole Rust Belt. And as you know, and as I know from traveling and doing political work in these cities, there are differences, no doubt, and I don't want to paint too broad of a stroke here, but the point is, is that I think if you understand the situation in Gary, 
then you'll have an like or if you understand the situation in Detroit or vice versa, you're going to have an easier time understanding the situation in Cleveland, in Buffalo, in Milwaukee, on the south and west sides of Chicago, in towns like Joliet, Flint, Michigan, Fort Wayne, Benton Harbor, and we could go on down the list. Ferguson, Missouri is another example. You know, I remember when and I went to Ferguson with a mutual friend of ours, Jonathan Wilson. And I right. remember when Jonathan and I got to Ferguson, we kind of were taught we were talking in the car with actually another friend of yours, uh, Chris Radovich. And, you know, Chris okay. and, and everybody who was in the car was kind of like, man, does this place seem like Northwest Indiana or what? Now, a little different, you know, the, the, and I would like to talk to you about this as well. So one of the differences that I think is really important, and we talked a lot about this when we were in Ferguson, but one of the differences that I think is vitally important for people to understand, and I think this allows us to talk about something beyond identity politics, is that in Ferguson you had a primarily black city or town that was dominated by white politicians and white police force. However, in Gary, we have a situation where I think eight of the nine city council members are black and the mayor is an African-American woman. The police chief is black. And I think the majority or the overwhelming majority of police officers in the city of Gary are also African-American. So I think what this forces us to do, and tell me if you agree with this, don't agree with this, or what this allows us to do is to talk about institutions of power beyond simply people's identities. So, I mean, what, what do you make of this? And is this a dynamic that you find challenging, interesting as you're going about the struggle in Gary, Indiana? Well, I think you're correct, and I think um, one of the things I love about organizing in Gary, Indiana, is that these discussions happen, um, although at the same time, especially when I've entertained outsiders, I give tours of the city, especially for a lot of artists, uh, identity politics is sort of their milieu, so, oh, well, you have a black female mayor, she must obviously be progressive and open, and then when some of them have met her, they come away looking shell-shocked because, yeah, it's the, pol it's the class politics of it. And I think we have a lot of class traders uh, here in Gary, Indiana, and I don't know if they're pulling off the desperation of, of the city or if it's just some inherent, um, you know, personal corruptions, what it is. I think you can analyze it both ways, of course. Um, the conversations that are happening amongst organizers here in Gary is on why identity politics are problematic, supremacy of class politics, and really just coming to a dialectical understanding of what is happening here. So anticipating things like the GEO group and some of these misleaders playing off of uh, black and brown animosities, um, ways you go about building multiracial anti-racist coalitions, you know, how you work with groups who play identity politics, things like that. I hope that's getting towards the question you had. You know, I, I kind of want to have folks understand what it, it's really like here in Gary, Indiana. I think it's an exceptional city, and it's got a history that I'd like to speak to really quickly. Yeah, uh, in go fact, ahead. It's, at Area Nesco, we used to call these hidden histories. And, and this is why this geo thing is so sickening to me as someone who has studied history. I've taught history as well um, and studied Gary's history. You know, Gary elected in 1968 Richard Hatcher, one of the first black mayors of a major American city, along with Carl Stokes in Cleveland. And 
Hatcher pursued a social justice, human rights, civil rights um, agenda, which at first attracted a great deal of attention and then quickly met the lash of white supremacy, which, you know, we can use terms like white flight, you know, the businesses moving south into marital places like that. But in 1972, Gary, Indiana, hosted the, the National Black Political Convention. This was a landmark of black politics. You had the full spectrum, the full diversity of it happening. And that history was largely lost. Now, it was on Eyes on the Prize when that documentary came out. Um, and it's been discussed a bit in the past couple of years as that's been rediscovered. And this summer, or this for this summer, the city has announced they're going to re-host this national black convention. What a slap in the face to this city and its people and its history and the legacy of Richard Hatcher and us organizers on the ground. For these fools, these you know accomplices to white supremacy and Gary, to think they could put this idea before us again and not get any attention from activists and human rights activists with this black convention coming up again. So that's Extreme the hubris. It, uh, it's, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm beyond where it's craven at this point, and that's the word we all keep coming back to. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a slap in the face of the legacy. Hatcher would have never allowed something like this to come into our city, and um, you know his daughters are carrying on his legacy in a great way. And uh, I, I'll say this. I saw uh, Reagan Hatcher, his oldest daughter, who ran for mayor against the current mayor. She attended our... Um, community meeting that happened in Miller, the Miller neighborhood uh, this past Saturday that you spoke of and you attended. And I want to say I saw her hollering at the three other council people who attended. Uh, she was out on the sidewalk. She had them there for at least 10 minutes, and she was just giving it to them. How could you allow this to happen? So, you know, I think I, you, you see moments like that, and you stay encouraged and hopeful when you're organizing. But at the same time, as I, I said at the meeting, I spoke at that meeting, I have very little confidence in most of the leadership, uh, the bourgeois capitalist leadership of this city right now. And uh, we've got to push this. We this, this should never happen again. No, absolutely. I mean, in this, and hopefully, see, I mean, what I'm thinking with, with this campaign, I mean, from my perspective, is that this also allows an opportunity like so to look beyond just this campaign, which I actually think this campaign is going. I mean, I not only because of, you know, I'm determined to make it work or determined to make it successful and plug as many people in as possible. But I just simply think objectively that this campaign is going to win. So once this campaign does beat Geo again and maybe and hopefully for the final time, but maybe not, my question to you would be, how do you see this current campaign sort of leading into future activism or future building future coalitions for bigger projects or other issues that people want to address? Because I think you've also, I'm sure, had similar experiences that I've had in the past. And, and that is, you know, oftentimes people will get together for a truly amazing campaign. And like you mentioned earlier, like, you know, the band sort of never breaks up, but sometimes people go in their own ways. People get involved with different things. Life takes over, whatever it may be. But to, but to truly sort of morph this coalition that's building, and I think it's quite tremendous. I mean, for people who don't know or who haven't attended these events, I mean, we've got people who are Bernie Sanders supporters, middle-aged white people, older white people, primarily black and brown people who are, who are leading uh, the struggle, um, younger people, 
union members. We have uh, yeah. clergy who are involved. We have environmental organizations who are involved. Uh, we even have, as you mentioned this last weekend, you know, uh, many local business owners who don't want this to happen. So, I mean, you know, what I'm interested in discussing with other activists in the region is, you know, how do you see this campaign leading into sort of more substantial movements and campaigns in the future that can be long-lasting here in the region? That's a great question, and I think, first of all, I want to say you're correct. We are going to win. They decide to give a variance, we keep fighting. They build the thing, we keep fighting. We make Gary the ground zero because you're completely correct. Gary is a city, and again, this is part of Gary's unique history. This is what makes us exceptional. Um, everything has come through Gary. It's the city that Capitol built, and the people have a destiny to take over and rule. So everybody has, every, every bit of that human grand global DNA has come through Gary at one point. So it's our struggle, and the organizers on the ground know this. Um, yeah, how do we keep the band from breaking up? Well, one thing I would say, this is, this is something that I've observed that's a little different from organizing in northwest Indiana versus organizing in the city of Chicago, is that a lot of us in northwest Indiana are here. You know, we're property owners, or we are business owners, or... Um, you know, you have a lot of people who I'm never going to get out of here. Financially, it's just not going to happen. Um, right. And we're in communication with each other. Whereas when I was in Chicago, you know, you have a good organizer in town or you have some good good activists, and then they get gentrified out and they're back to wherever they came from, which actually is my story, you know. I got gentrified out of Chicago twice. I had to move back home with my parents at 32, actually, and that's when the real hardcore local organizing started because it's not like I lost my job or was being irresponsible. It's just bullshit capitalism trying to drive us back into serfdom. So right. a lot of us are here, and we're, we know we're going to be here for a long time, and our organizing has to take that character and flavor. Um, just personally... I've been, been encouraging people to, you know, bring your own skills and talents and knowledge into it. Be respectful um, of everyone around you. Don't be an opportunist because we'll, we'll sniff that out and we'll catch you and call you out real quick on that. And if you're, if you're earnest about it, whether it's environmental justice, that's your passion, or racial justice or police issues or the prison industrial complex or whether it's just or business or whatever it is, I think if you're earnest, and you're right, this campaign's been bringing out strange bedfellows, and, you know, it's just something we're going to have to, you know, we have to have those dialogues going on. So um, Jerry Davich, who's kind of a mainstream uh, columnist in the big newspaper here in northwest Indiana, he had an article, he said, you know, he's a white liberal type, he saw that... Uh, you know, I'm encouraged by all the activism that's popped up in northwest Indiana in 2015. Now, he didn't mention Black Lives Matter at all, who I think in, in Hammond, East Chicago, Gary, and Michigan City, and Valpo, and other places really pushed tactics and strategy and, and, and ideology and, and uh, conversation forward in a way that needed to happen. Um, he didn't mention any of that, but he mentioned a lot of the other struggles going around, and I think it's our job to just push that to the point where decision-makers, stakeholders, the muckety-mucks, and the voices start getting really uncomfortable. There's more of us than there are of them. 
Well, so, and I think yeah, people come, come need to give themselves a little more credit in the region as well. I mean, part of what I try and get across to people, and I've done political work all over the world, small places, rural places, urban centers, neighborhoods, what in other countries are called, um, you know, what we would call uh, the suburbs, but inner city neighborhoods and so forth. I mean, it, what I've found is that some of these towns, for instance, a town like Gary, Indiana, or a town like Michigan City, or let's say Ferguson, you know, Missouri, for example, if you had, like, let's say, just we're hypothetically speaking, I mean, if you can train up a couple dozen no-shit organizers in Gary, Indiana, I mean, people who know how to run campaigns, people who know how to be police liaisons, people who know how to organize bail money, people who can, you know, set up fundraisers on their own, so on and so forth. If we can, I mean, if you could just train up a couple dozen people like that, in my opinion, and I don't think this is overly zealous, I truly think you could transform a city like Gary or take over entire government institutions and public infrastructure within a matter of years. I mean, I helped a friend of mine, and I, most of my activism has been either international in scope or national in scope because it has surrounded issues like militarism and U.S. foreign policy. In the last few years, I have started to work more closely with local organizations, including yourself and other activists in the area. But two years ago, or I'm sorry, three years ago when that started, I, I was working actually a pretty much hell, the, the, the head person who was organizing a campaign for a friend who was running for school board, a former union official here in LaPorte County. Yeah. And what I noticed through going through that process was that, you know, not only did we have a lack of investigative media, so therefore all kinds of really shady deals could be passed through local city government because there's absolutely no oversight. The local media is an absolute joke. Um, there's no oversight. The unions aren't really organizing people outside of the electoral sphere. There's not that many community organizations. So hence, a lot of these people who are in city government or local cronies, business owners, city planners like Bo Kemp, these kind of people are allowed to get away with murder because we don't have that kind of oversight and that kind of organization. Now, if that organization and that oversight existed, I have absolutely no doubt that cities like Michigan City, Hammond, East Chicago, Whiting, Gary, Indiana could be transformed in a matter of years. And what do you think about something like that? I mean, is this your experience working on that level? Because you've also worked in the third largest city and possibly the most corrupt city in the United States in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I get close to the belly of the beast, I guess, don't I? <laughs> um, you're completely correct, because Gary's history, again, shows this to be true. In the 1930s, all the hunkies, as they were called, the white ethnics, which in Gary was a lot of the Eastern Europeans and the Balkan people, had a group called Club SAR, which ended up uh, producing most of the mayors and city council folk of Gary from the 40s and 50s, a lot of especially the Greeks and Serbian folks. Um, and then in the late 50s and early, uh, actually more like the early 60s, mid-60s, Mugwathania, which I believe is Swahili for we're all in it together, was um, founded by folks like Richard Hatcher and others, and they became the power in Gary. Um, so you're completely correct. A dozen, maybe two dozen people could easily, well-organized people could affect a huge change. Um, I want to throw out a criticism a lot of activists and organizers around here who just want to completely actually eschew the whole political organizing. You know, they might want to stay in the realm of 
activism or protest or social politics, but they don't want to quite get their hands dirty with that. And I think we have a ways to go with that, and we should encourage it. Now, the the fear of it, what's that going to look like? It's going to probably manifest, I feel, on a regional level, which means a lot of the populations of Gary may not get represented. You know, to participate in politics is in a large degree a privilege. So things like um, being able to get from point A to point B if you don't have a car, if you can't afford the gas for it. Um, so we have to find other ways to do that. You're right. It's a great challenge, and we have to we have to take this energy that's being created. A Paul Street and Counterpunch nailed it. We're building a social movement. We have Absolutely. to export that into other struggles in Gary, into other struggles in the Chicagoland area, and into struggles in the United States and beyond. So you know, those are challenges, and I hope those are things on every organizer's mind. They they certainly are on mine, <laughs> and they're on mine as well. Well, hey, Sam, I have to let you go. We're running up to the top of the hour. Uh, hey, man, thanks very much for coming on the program. I think you're a wealth of knowledge, and I think anyone who's interested in learning more about the region and specifically this struggle should check out your work. So, uh, Sam, yeah, I, thanks I again, man. I appreciate a couple it. A con- couple contacts real quick is on Facebook, 219Might, and you can email me at geoingary at gmail.com. Thanks. Thanks again, brother. And for those of you who are listening who didn't get that information tomorrow, folks in Chicago, folks in Northwest Indiana, Southwest Michigan, the GEO group who's trying to put a private, privately owned immigrant detention facility or what we like to call a prison in Gary, Indiana, will be at the Board of Zoning Appeals at Gary City Hall. This is tomorrow, Tuesday, April 12th. Come there anytime after 1.30 p.m., but specifically at 2.30 p.m. for the meeting. That's at Gary City Hall, which is at 4th Street and Broadway. And let's make our voices heard, man. Let's shut this thing down is what I'd like to see. And for now, hey, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we'll have a new program for you. I'm your host, Vincent Emanuele. You are listening to Meditations in Molotovs on the Progressive Radio Network. You could check us out every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time, 2 p.m. East Coast Time. That's 11 a.m. on the West Coast at prn.fm. I want to thank the folks at PRN, and I'll talk to you next week. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast, voluntary, involuntary. We don't know the contrast, organic.